Maui Nui is on a mission to help balance axis deer populations for the good of our environment, communities, and food systems on the island of Maui. They've shared over 126,000 pounds of nutrient-dense protein with the Maui community. Secure your spot now. Become a snack subscriber and join in helping to build more resilient food and ecosystems on Maui. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I-Venison.com. And use promo code BEAR for 20% off your first order. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. My name is Clay Newcomb, and this is a production of the Bear Grease podcast called the Bear Grease Render, where we render down, dive deeper, and look behind the scenes of the actual Bear Grease podcast. Presented by FHF Gear, American-made, purpose-built hunting and fishing gear that's designed to be as rugged as the places we explore. Guys, we've got an exclusive Bear Grease discount code for FHF gear. That's Fish Hunt Fight Gear. I've been using their products for the last year, and I love carrying my gear in a chest rig or my binos in their bino harness. It's easier and more accessible than a backpack, and it doesn't get in the way when I'm riding my mule. For a limited time, you can head over to FHFgear.com forward slash Bear Grease And listeners to this here podcast get a discount on purchases for your FHF gear system. And you can see how I build my gear system. So go to FHFgear.com forward slash Bear Grease for a special code if you're buying stuff from FHF gear. Check it out. Fish Hunt Fight FHF gear. a tense moment today with Mr. Newcomb. Well, Cal, we bothering you or anything? Huh? We ordering some more socks <laughs> for you. <laughs> we'll just we catch you from ready? Malachi's playing Candy Crush Sock over there. <laughs> yeah, he's on the, he's on the, the Bear Grease podcast oh, thread, I which, really is, which to... is a little bit overwhelming. Like For those of us who have alternate jobs in yeah. the day, 
it can kind of dominate your life a little bit. Oh, okay. I love it. Okay. Love it. But as an outsider coming in, the bear grease isn't a full time position. You guys yeah. don't do this full time. <laughs> we do it poorly. <laughs> so you got to have your side hustle. I got welcome it. to the bear grease render. Man, I'm very excited about today. I uh, I've got a lot to say. Oh boy, man, I've got a lot to say <laughs> about different. this podcast. Yeah. You, you've been on the dozer. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. Oh no. Yeah. Oh no. <laughs> yeah, the dozer. Uh, hey, we've got a uh, we've got one person that is back from wherever they came from. We've got one new person on the bear grease render. We've got three. Three uh, old hats. You know, uh, standby. Easy. <laughs> we got three. Easy fella. Three, three good guests ones. of honor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to our left, to my left, Misty Newcomb. Welcome back, Misty. Thank it's you. It's Misty Newcomb's birthday today, guys. Ooh, wow. Yay. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Special episode. I love birthdays. <laughs> really? I do. When you stop having them, there's an issue. <laughs> True. So happy birthday. Thank you. To Misty's left. Malachi Nichols. Back. Hey, did you hear back. did you hear you got a shout out on the last render? I didn't. Oh, you was didn't it a listen. Good shout out? Okay. Okay. Oh, snap. That was a test. <laughs> <laughs> that means you didn't. That was a test. Uh no, we said uh we said uh someone was dressed like Malachi Nichols. Uh, I can't remember who it was. You set the standard. They were well dressed though. That's they were sure. well dressed. Good. And they yeah, they oh, looked yeah. like Malachi Nichols. Good. Where you been, man? Man, I've been grinding. Just doing what you have to do. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Do you want to tell people what you do for a living? Sure. Sure. Like I I work for an education nonprofit. um, And so I I manage and develop programs for school districts and and state leaders. So I'm traveling around the the state and working hard. And you're an Arkansas hunting license holder. I am. Two years in a row. Two years (laughs) in a row. It's real serious. Supporting conservation. Conservation warrior. That's a trend. Yeah, real serious. To your left. The new man in the render, mm. in the circle, mm. in the arena, mm. Jonathan right. Webster. Hello. J-Web. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> listen, it's like winning the contest. You just listen to enough episodes and it's like you submit your, your application. Tell us what it felt like when you got the invite. <laughs> listen. <laughs> it was out-of-body <laughs> out experience. I looked at my wife and said, it's happening. It's happening. It's happening. It's it's Jonathan, Jonathan is a longtime friend of ours. He and his wife are longtime friends of Misty and I. Truth. And Jonathan has been on the Bear Hunting Magazine podcast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. True, yeah, man. We went coon hunting, and uh, we did oh, yeah. a couple. We also had a a different. I've been on a couple episodes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can I yeah. help give Jonathan an introduction? Yeah, sure. Oh, I man. think Jonathan is one of the most intellectually curious people that mm. Clay and I know. Oh my gosh! Wow. Yeah. What that is that? Explain- what are you trying to say this, about the rest of us? This is. <laughs> uh, Sorry about that, Doctor. Don't, don't be curious about that. Don't we don't want. It, we don't want. Hey, <laughs> hey, y'all just saw something that happened that that defines my life. Like <laughs> I know why Jonathan is here. It's like I'm like Jonathan needs to be here. I have no idea why. It's like. <laughs> He's the most intellectually curious person we know. And I'm like, that's it. (laughs) So I got it right. You see what I'm saying? Like, I got it right. You're going with your gut. Yeah, I I do. And I've Mm -hmm. found it to be right a lot. Mm. Mm. Wrong something. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Missy. I'm putting that on my resume now. Yeah, you should. There you, you go. Should. You got called out. To your left, Dr. Daniel Roop. Hey. Man, home run 
appearance on the Bearish podcast. Uh-huh. It was great, dude. Hey, really, I, I, I've listened to it multiple times, our little conversation. And what you guys wouldn't know, and again, the reason for the Bearish Render is to go behind the scenes. Dan and I talked for probably 36.25 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And we had multiple do-overs of certain parts of the conversation because it was a complex conversation. We, and we had these little different pieces. And it was stitched together as if it was just... I couldn't even tell. I told my wife when I heard it, I was like, he really makes somebody sound smarter than me. <laughs> hey, I, like, I don't know thing. how you I do thought, it. I thought, Dan Roop isn't that smart. <laughs> He's not curiously intellectual. <laughs> I know. I don't know why I'm here. No. But you can make somebody sound smarter. No, it was so that. interesting. Yeah. It really was, the stuff about... Yeah. Uh, and, and, and you brought home the point that I wanted to see inside the whole podcast which was Boone's fingerprint on us where we didn't even know it. So I want to come back to that section because, I mean, it was incredible. To your left, Brent Reeves. Brent. Hey, you. Hey, buddy. Good to see you, man. It is good to be seen. Thanks for, <laughs> thanks for coming. Always. Brent's name has been popping up quite a bit in the, uh, can in I the iTunes reviews. Can I please comment? I could, when I saw him today, I could hardly call him Brent. I, had to call, I wanted to call him Velvet Pipe. I know. As soon as, he, <laughs> as soon as he talked, I just thought, Velvet. <laughs> I have no idea what that guy's talking about. <laughs> uh, hey, his, his name was uh, Whitetail Widowmaker. I'm available to narrate your life, buddy. Just all right. Give me a call. Hey, you got to start a cameo account. You know what that is? No. Cameo account. I think this is Cameo? a great idea. I support this. I think it's. I think that's what it's called. It's an app where you can have you pay to have people like wish you happy birthday. Oh yeah. Or, oh, yeah. And so oh, yeah. basically, you set up this. I mean, I don't know how it works, but I didn't charge you, Misty. That to was say free. Misty yeah. happy birthday. Yeah. <laughs> so you you could do you could charge you could charge whatever you wanted, uh, but you know there's like high I'll do level it one time for ten million dollars. <laughs> Well, that's worth a shot. And then we're all retiring. Everybody. Hey, that's generous. Okay, listen. I have dramatically overreacted. Okay? Oh. Y'all remember two renders like mm-hmm. Y'all remember surprise, two renders surprise. ago? <laughs> How could we when forget? When I came in with my tail between my legs, saying that I had been called out, the whistle had been blown, when I told the story of mm-hmm. the game warden. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and our friend... Alex, Alex was like, Clay, you've lost a lot of credibility because you told the story and you embellished it. Man, I finally listened to the story <laughs> myself. And? Man. <laughs> okay. Nice try, Alex. This reminds me. I'm, g- I'm going to go back to another story in my life that I feel like now I might have overreacted. Were you in a courtroom at the time? <laughs> I remember when I was in kindergarten. I wish Gary Newcomb was here. When I was in kindergarten, there was a boy named Ricky. Which and if, time? And if anybody wanted to like look him up, mm-hmm. I'd like to talk to him. Ricky. Ricky. Kindergarten he, Rickies are usually he, he kind left. of tough to handle. Like, kindergarten mm-hmm. Ricky never made it to first grade Ricky. Like He was just in and out you know, to our school system, I guess, presumably. I okay. don't know. Ricky... <laughs> keyed in on the fact that I did not cuss. 
in kindergarten. Yeah, it must have been a rough class, man. Now that I think about it, how did it's I mean, true. like, do a lot of kids? I don't know, but he keyed in on it, and he could tell that, like, I was very dead set on not saying bad words. And he started going, "Hey, Clay, <laughs> I heard you say a bad word." Oh, and I would just be like, "No, you didn't, Ricky." And he tormented me for weeks by saying, "Hey, Clay." I mean, I can still see the twinkle in his eye. He gonna tell Juju, and yeah, and I. This was a defining moment of my young manhood. Clearly, yeah. <laughs> I I marched up to Gary Newcomb after weeks of this. Mm. Just took a deep breath. I mean, it was vivid. It was like, I was like manning up. And I said, Dad, if you get a call from my teacher (laughs) and she says that I said a bad word, it's not true. Because I didn't. There's a boy in my class named Ricky. Ricky. that, That is accusing me of saying bad words. And I don't. Now, and Gary Newcomb just said, Thank you for telling me, son. I really appreciate you telling me, you know, just bringing this to me. Okay. I feel like now that I'm in my early 40s, Ricky's that perhaps name. I overreacted. Ricky's middle name is Alex. <laughs> hey, listen. <laughs> Full circle. So you remember I told you I had not listened to the Meteor Campfire stories. Yes. So for someone who hadn't caught up on this, I, I, I told a story in effort to talk about the Meteor Campfire Stories audiobook that's out right now. I hadn't listened to the story. Someone, and I might even reveal who that someone was, I've been hiding their identity because I felt like they had told me a, you know, a bad story. Right. You Does your eye contact mm-hmm. in this room indicate who that person is? No, they're not You're here. You're staring Brett they're down. They're not here. Okay. They're okay. not here. So I tell the story on the, on the render, and then people are like, Clay, you told the story about it. Well, I listened to this story finally when I was driving to Canada last week. Man, I, there were just a few minor details. <laughs> minor. The only thing that I put in there that I can recall from memory of what I said was I said there was a high-speed car chase. Yep. Mm-hmm. There was no high-speed car chase. Okay, okay that but is listen, a little bit dramatic. No, I mean, if you are from the dramatic. South, you <laughs> add high-speed car chases almost to every story. Dukes of Hazard is in <laughs> our exactly. DNA. I mean, it would have been an embellishment if I had said the game warden came up on two wheels and ramped. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, so I told the story, I mean, very close. Minus that one dramatic high speed no, chase. No, he was chasing the guy. He okay. saw the lights okay. and he saw the guy turn down a road and he goes to the road. I presume he was going above the speed limit. Gotcha. Okay. I mean, like hmm. 35. I mean, like, I doubt he was like, well, I guess I'll just toddle around up here. But no, I, I felt like it was a high speed car Hot chase. Pursuit. And it was not. But it was just like that. He went to a mud hole, he got out with his flashlight. This game warden mm-hmm. and looked in the mud hole, did not perceive that a vehicle had driven through it. He was like, Because no. it was going about five miles. An and hour. he said, and, and it was just like that. The, the, the sociopath right. who was wanted for uh, attempted homicide was waiting 50 feet away mm-hmm. in his car with an Uzi sticking out the window. And when he crossed through the mud hole, he was going to shoot the game warden. So, anyway, I, I just feel like I've overreacted a little bit. That's all. Mm. Um, just a few other. Uh, you feel vindicated? Is right that now? it? 
That's it. That's oh, wow. it. Okay. That's it. Do y'all remember? You I'll... should finish that story with I found five dollars right there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. There's there is a there is a review on iTunes, and the way it started out, it's a five star review, a legitimate five star review. Nice. Okay. But he says, and I was. I mean, I'm just going to be honest. I was a little bit. Uh, I'll let you guys decide what you how you felt like I felt. When Can I we read review this. the review? He said, "Don't yeah. judge a podcast." That's his title, and he says, "Don't let the cover photo fool you." Aww. Clay Newcomb isn't just another knucklehead on a mule. <laughs> <laughs> how many podcasts have a picture of some guy on a mule? Exactly. That's my first question to the guy is like, is this a theme? And, you know, there's some implications to this. Just an, as if anybody who rides a mule is going to be a knucklehead. Like, you're like, oh, dude on a mule, probably a knucklehead. Another one of those. <laughs> Highly correlated, though. Yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute. Maybe no, so. You Wait shouldn't agree with him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I proved the point. <laughs> <laughs> he got hey, you. On that one. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Hey, hey, hey let me let me tell you something, Malachi. This this is interesting. So I'm reading a book. You're reading the book too. Yeah, it's really good. I'm, uh, I, don't don't tell the name yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah. Say in no this one. book, I didn't know people who wrote mules read in this book. <laughs> Well, I can't get into it. It's going to be too big of a spoiler alert. Don't get but to it. But mules have for centuries, if not thousands of years, been a second-rate equine animal from a social status. Yeah. Because there was a, there was a, oh man, can I, uh-huh. you think I can go into the details? I do think you, you should you, move on. Okay. Oh. I think I should. <laughs> you use good. Yeah, you read the book. Is no, what no, it no, is. no, 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 no. I have like three pages left. Okay. <laughs> You okay. stop with three pages left. Yeah, no, did. no. Anyway, like so. Anyway, there's something. <laughs> but then he goes on to give power. a review. You know, this is a very entertaining, educational show done professionally and intellectually. Like, but he's like, don't, don't let the mule throw you off. Okay, mm. that kind of hurts his. <laughs> Thank experience. you. There, there is a social. There's, there's a descriptor for something that happens when people that are extremely wealthy down dress. And I, I heard a podcast one time where if you go into like Macy's in New York and you're looking around at the people in the store and you were trying to make a judgment on their financial status, most likely the person in there that is like a millionaire is like wearing like jogging pants and a t-shirt mm. and like flip-flops. Probably he's got a mule in the parking lot. It's a mule. <laughs> See? A mule on <laughs> See, that's what I'm saying. Now, so, because the guy that's dressed up real fancy, and and there's a there's a term to describe it, and I it eludes me. No, there's a term to describe it. Basically, where you like dress up, like so, like if someone's like decked out, telegraphing, probably like they're Something. they're wanting to say they're communicating I am worthy wealth. to be in I this store. Yeah. yeah, these are my people. This mm. and the person that doesn't care because they've already been through all that. Yeah. So when you see airs. somebody riding putting a horse, airs. putting on airs, you can be like, "Man, this guy's just trying to." Wait, are you making a, cool. a blanket statement about all horse riders right now? Well, I, I don't know. I'm not a horse. So rider. every horse rider, when you <laughs> see a sure. guy riding a horse, every horse rider is just trying to be cool. And and the guys that are on the mules 
have already been through that stage they've and already, have just ground think, down listen, their you know, life. Wow. I think it'd be a good time to stop putting everybody <laughs> in like it's horse boxes, boxes <laughs> mule boxes. <laughs> I don't know. Every week I, he polarizes know, America. The nation has been polarized again. <laughs> oh, My no. Okay. Um, okay, there was another guy. Uh, this guy, Don, wrote me today mm-hmm. and he said, uh, he's the one that said he was uncertain if if I was if he was comfortable with with us calling Dan like Dan Boone, I'm with you, what's Don. his name? Boone, Danny Boy Boone. DB. I'm on Don. I'm team well, I'm Don. I'm with Don. I don't listen. Like I stand okay, with so Don. Don says just finished the third Boone Boone podcast. Best of all three. I've come clear on my position that I indeed hate it when you call him Dan. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but listen. Does he insist on Mister Boone? I'm glad you guys laugh. <laughs> Not because it isn't, in fact, his name or appropriate, but for no other reason than the jealous tinge I get when you say it. It makes me feel like he would like you better than he likes me. Don's great. He needs to get on here. <laughs> yeah. Contest winner. Don? He's oh next God. week's yeah. contest winner. There it is. Yeah. I'm out. Yeah. It was great while it lasted. He says, love what you're doing. Keep up the fantastic work. Representing a lifestyle that has informed so much of who I am. That's Don. awesome. That's pretty good. So Don, Don is like, if Dan Boone were alive. Okay. I don't think he'd like you. He like, that guy rides a mule. That's a mule <laughs> if I ever saw him. Uh, Idiot. <laughs> Another fool on a mule. <laughs> That's um, your tagline for your podcast. <laughs> fool on a mule. Forget that. That's whole, a new t-shirt. Hey, things forgotten Listen, and unexplored. Hey, uh, you may not be able to tell it by the way I'm dressed, but uh, I just got off of a mule. I've been on an adventure oh, this yeah, morning. I had, to leave, I had to leave early this morning. I'm starting to bait bears. Mm. And one of my bear baits is in an unaccessible by vehicle location. Uh, we can only bait bears on private land in Arkansas. And so um, I took Banjo out for his maiden backwoods voyage. Inaugural voyage. How yeah. did he do? He did really good. Um, you will see at some point on my Instagram feed a buck and fit that I happened okay. to capture on video. Really? We'll, but other we'll, than that, we'll be waiting for We kind of worked through it. Banjo. Yeah, that um, is exciting. Yeah. Just got back from Canada, too. I was in Canada. Uh, killed a buck in Canada. Mm. Didn't kill a bear. It's a good trip, but uh, unfortunate on the bear. It was a beautiful buck. Thank you. Yeah. I thought so, too. Yeah. How cold was it up there? It, it's just like here. I mean, really. Same. What do they ride up in Canada? <laughs> Moose. <laughs> and beavers. How, where's that good on question. the equine hierarchy? Good question. The moose. If you could ride a moose, I, I hat tip that. Put a saddle on it. I can ride it. They 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 broke some of these Every kinds time of animals. He talks, velvet, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Just I don't want to hear him say "put a saddle on it" again, though. Um, now, Brent, you you, <laughs> you, you I saw and some on. images of you on a bulldozer this week. Yes. Oh. What were you doing? I was bulldozing, <laughs> tapping into that dozer fever. Being cool, man. Okay. I was cleaning out. I was over at the farm. My buddy Jacob's got this dozer, and we manage a piece of property. And we were enhancing a place to shoot some ducks this, this winter. It's a big old slough that floods. Uh, just a minimal amount of rain, so normally we'll get water in there. And, and we'll, get, we'll get some ducks in there with two or three good cold fronts come through. So we're cleaning out a spot for the ducks to rest in. We'll hunt it, you know, two or three 
four, five, six times a, a year, depending on the amount of ducks, but mainly a place for them to rest. And just cleaning out some old, getting some food plots ready for some deer, and mm. we got access to do some bow hunting over there. Taking what care kind of, the of land. dozer you got? It's a Case 850. Oh, a Case. Mm-hmm. Mm. Oh. Is that a is that a is that a horse or a mule in terms of dozers? What's the ranking I of? I would uh, say it's like a goat. Oh. Okay. <laughs> a case 850. Now I'm, case I'm not sure what okay. model it was, but the it was built probably sometime after the first moon landing, I think. Hopefully, mm. so it's. It's, well, you look good on it. I, I, I ain't never you. had any problems with my looks, Clay. <laughs> <laughs> hey, did you uh, did you feel like invigorated? In, in, in okay, an invigoration. And while for you're the on next, the dozer? I sat on that thing for about six and a half hours, and for the next three days, Bailey said, "Daddy, you walk funny." <laughs> I was so sore. Really? Oh gosh! Jarred you around? Oh yeah, we did. It's it's pretty rough in there, and we did lots of pushing, put some pushing some old snags and stuff down so it was it wasn't the smoothest of of rides but but yeah i, I get a lot of enjoyment i spent the best, a lot of the, time in a honda accord today <laughs> <laughs> y'all want to hear my uh, dozer song i do now <laughs> yes <laughs> uh only we, if we i'm in the third in the third verse i gotta be in the third verse we may come back to it so boon number three <laughs> winner boon yeah number three no, I, I truly am slightly grieved because I'm thinking about the next podcast, and it's going to be great, and nobody is going to be able to guess what it's about because it is off the wall. And uh, so I'm very it's excited, but, uh, but I'm uh, slightly grieved about the Boone, Boone series being over. The yeah. passing. But the thing about somebody like Boone is you, know, you could have extended this podcast into really as many series as you've wanted. I mean, there's there's lots of detail. And the things that, I guess when you're telling stories, what it boils down to is what stories do you tell and how do you tell them? And so if you were to take all the intel from D. Boone's life and then you were to go back and make a checklist of the stories that, that we told and the things we touched on, there would be way more things that happened to him that were not touched on. I mean, like, for instance, I did not even speak of the Battle of the Blue Licks. Well, I wanted to hear more about that. Well, did you... About you, Boonesboro? Or is that separate? Okay, the Siege of Boonesboro was its own thing. And Blue I mean, Licks is where he had his men surrender, yeah? Negative. Uh, he, was, he, was, he was at a salt lick. So the siege of Boonesboro and the the uh, surrendering the men at the Salt Lake were connected because the they had this settlement. It was the first settlement that they had at Boonesboro. They had to go get salt. Salt was essential to life on the frontier. They had to have salt. They had to have salt for curing hides. They had to have, uh, I mean, like it was a commodity. Goes so, with your pepper. Yeah, I mean, like steak, potato, salt and pepper. So they had... They thirty men went out, and there's calculations on how much work has to go into boiling. It's salty water. It's a salty spring, is what it was. Basically, they have these big cauldrons, and they keep fires going like twenty hours a day, and basically evaporate this water. And then what's left is salt, oh. and they can make like several hundred pounds of salt a day. But it took thirty men. So Boone is out hunting for the men. 
kills the buffalo, gets captured by Shawnee. The Shawnee say, we're going to kill all the guys at the lick. And then Boone says, I tell you what, don't do that, and I'll, I, will, I will forfeit the men to you. And then they stay in captivity with the Shawnees for four months, and then that's when they go back in the whole siege of Boonesboro, which okay. you could have done a whole podcast Absolutely. on the siege of Boonesboro. It was incredible. I wanted to know more. They had a the 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 Shawnees did a whole fake out treaty thing, and Boone did too, because Boone and Blackfish were father and son, like they actually acted like that. I mean, Blackfish really loved Boone, and when when they there was there was a a, a point when they met out in front of the fort, where just Blackfish and just Boone, like there's all these. Indians out here, all the people in the fort, they're about to all kill each other. And Blackfish walks out and says, I want to see Boone. And so all the men are covering Boone. Boone walks out. And perhaps they had two or three men with them. But Boone wouldn't go past 60 yards of the fort Hmm. because he knew that was the accurate range of the guns. So he was like, I'll meet you 60 yards. Wow. And uh, he walks out there and... Blackfish says, why did you leave? And uh, because Boone had escaped. Big deal. They have this big treaty, and the treaty goes wrong, and they actually signed the treaty, and when they were standing up to like shake each other's hands, Boone knew the Native Americans well enough to tell his men. So they were, I think, they were outnumbered two to one. And they were at a big table, and they had just signed a treaty. And Boone told his men, he said, if they shake your hand in this way, know that we're being set up, and they're about to pummel you. And it was the Native American way to shake hands. I'm oh, yeah. where they Where you grab, grab him the, by the arm. Yeah. Basically, you grab his elbow. Yeah. And Boone knew that if they did that, it was over. Mm. And so they all went, and they did that. And as soon as they did that, the Shawnees jerked down the the – the Boone and his men, and pop, 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 pop. Uh, everybody started firing. Boone had told all the people at the fort, he said, if it goes fist to cuffs out there, just shoot. Because we're outnumbered two to one. Just shoot. Wow. Wow. If you hit somebody, shoot there's, a, there's, a, there's a better chance you're going to hit one of them than hit us. I didn't like the odds. Yeah. <laughs> and so that there's a whole thing. Yeah. What I was going to say, though, was that we never even talked about the Battle of the Blue Licks which was a later battle that a lot of people say was the most, one of the most defining moments of Boone's life. And we never even got into it. Boone's son, Israel, was killed at the Blue Licks. And basically they were ambushed by Native Americans after Boone told the army and the leaders, hey, don't go after, we shouldn't, we shouldn't just take after these Indians. And one of the guys, one of the leaders challenged Boone and called him a coward and then just took off to go after the Indians. And Boone was like, well, okay. Here we go. And they fell in, and it was like a massive disaster. I mean, Mm -hmm. like, lots of people got killed. I said all that to say, what we talk about in the podcast, there's only so much. Yeah, Dan, what what stood out to you in this third one? I I think for me, personally, I was surprised at how emotional I got kind of toward the end of the podcast. Mm -hmm. Especially, I think what really... I really enjoyed was when the artist came to paint his yeah. portrait and the daughter was like, no, 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 this is a good thing. And, you know, here was this, this same man who says, 
if it goes fisticuffs, shoot. You know what I mean? Just fearless in every way. And then a painter comes and he's like, no, 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 I'm not doing that. Yeah. And she's like, no, dad, it's okay. You know, just really seeing the human side of him yeah. and imagining him like getting in that coffin and yeah. giving his grandkids a hard time. Yeah. I think seeing the familial, yeah. my grandfather was a huge goober. Yeah. I mean, just a total goof off. And that's, I could totally imagine him doing something like that. And I think that really made Daniel Boone for me a person. Yes. You know, he, 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 and I was like, oh man, like he was a guy. And the fact that two miles down the road, somebody didn't even know who he was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It was yeah, just it was. the whole thing, that whole little last chapter. Just, yeah, yeah, I yeah. think, like you said, in the, you know, two weeks ago in the render, like it's going to really, it's going to really change the way you look at him. And it really did. Man, that was my favorite part probably of all the stuff we talked about in, in all four hours of documentary on Boone was that right at the end of his life, you see so much. Like he, he was living in a little cabin behind Jemima's house. when, And this is what Chester Harding said. So if Alex wants to fact check <laughs> Chester Harding... Gosh. Chester Harding. You should cut <laughs> Sorry, <that> Juju. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. You, you send really. Alex a hat. <laughs> you do. Send him a hat. The, uh, no, because you wonder where these details come from. I mean, the only person there was Chester Harding and Boone. Did Boone come out and say, yeah, I was roasting a deer leg when Chester got here? He may have. But, I mean, just the, these little details show us so much. I mean, imagine a 80... It, it's unclear to me how old Boone was. I want to say it was in the last year of his life. And so, you know, presumably he was like 86 years old. Um, and he's back there roasting a deer leg by himself. On a ramrod. On a ramrod. That you know he probably shot the deer. I mean, you got, why would you think otherwise? Yeah. But that was the part that, I mean... I have to piggyback on what has already been said. I knew that, this was going to happen. That is piggyback. what resonated with me so much. Is like Steve said, he didn't go do the the Wild Bill Hickok mm-hmm. Wild West yeah. show mm-hmm. when he easily could. He could have been a he died a poor man, and he could have been a very wealthy man just by speaking engagements, mm-hmm. going here and telling that, but or, and, and telling his story. But he lived in a little cabin. In the woods, and he took solace by playing with his kids and his grandkids. And I have been, there's no way. I mean, this guy has done so much and seen so much and been so many places. But I get it. I know why he's like that. Jonathan said something a while ago before we started recording. He said, you know, you've probably got some pretty good stories being an undercover officer for all these years. Well, I do. And I've been to some very cool places with you, Clay, and we've seen some really cool stuff. But the better part of my day and the best thing that I can imagine is sitting in the backyard playing with my kids or my grandkids. And that, I thought, you know, that's a, a connection that he and I have. That what, when it comes down to it, the most important thing are those, the things that are really important. And this guy, I mean, he was responsible for westward expansion, and yet he would really rather sit in the fire and cook a deer leg on his ramrod. Yeah. You know, that that was that spoke volumes to you me know, about it. I think we this is part of the mythology of Boone is that we can cherry pick from his life 
these grand moments. And that's kind of what we want to talk about. But man, D Boone went through the meat grinder for real mm-hmm. in life. He lost two of his sons. I mean, even think about like we don't know if if the illegitimacy of Jemima was true. Right. But think right. about a husband wow. that would have come home and been like, "Oh, we're doing that." Well, and then yeah. maybe he had a Shawnee wife too. I mean, that's mm. distress right. inside of a home, whatever time period, to say the least. He, yeah. He had, you know, the, his first years in Kentucky. Imagine being a poor guy today, just scrapping by, and being able to go somewhere and earn a significant year's wage. Let's say that, and, and it depends on what part of the country you're in, but like in Arkansas, let's say that would be like eighty grand. Like if you could go in a couple of months, make eighty thousand dollars, and bring it home. And like you're used to making like thirty five, on the way home, yep. Somebody stops you and goes, "Hey, bro, we'll be taking that with yeah. us." The number of times that you mentioned him getting robbed or losing his stuff was astonishing. Like that's the kind of stuff that you just feel like would leave a mark on you as a person. Now, like I got robbed one time and I'll never forget it. And it's like he got drugged and robbed, and he got his. The number of times that you mentioned, it, it's like. Man. Yeah, there wasn't that many people running around yeah. back in those days. <laughs> Doesn't oh. say much for Yeah, he, he was constantly he had lots and lots of failures. Just think think too though, of at the end of his life, just kind of what you said, Brent, he kinda he wasn't interested in fame and glory at that point. He had sifted through all that stuff and yet still he was pleasant. Many people noted that his presence was, quote, coveted by his family in his older age. So that that speaks of a man mm-hmm. in good standing. Yeah. Well, they recognized a lot of sacrifice that guy <clears throat> went through for them. But think about all the different outcomes, though. When you're in your 80s and you've been through that kind of life, you could be a real J-hole. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Or your family could hate you. Yes. For leading them in different directions. I mean, think about the tragedies that easily his family could have blamed oh, him for. Rebecca could have blamed for years. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Seriously. So that, it, it seems like normal. Well, of course, if your grandpa's Daniel Boone, you're going to like him. No. I mean, lots of life breaks people down. And at his old age, what we saw was an intact man, mm. you know. And to me, it goes back to kind of the point of Robert Morgan's book is that Boone was not just a superhero or a mythical American character. He actually had character, not without flaws, but he had character. And that, that, that yeah, the Chester Harding thing blows my mind. Like that within two miles of where Boone lived, they, the man didn't even know who, who he was. It was just like, yeah, that white haired guy, yeah. Daniel Boone? Yeah, sure, whatever. Wild. Wild. Jonathan, what what stood out to you? I think this episode painted more complex picture of him than the other episodes. And I was really interested in the paradoxes that you guys mentioned, the number of paradoxes. Like, I thought it was very interesting that he would be a market hunter in that trip where he killed 150 bears, and yet he's seeing game be reduced and seeing that it's unsustainable. And it's like, what makes a man do that? I think you made a comment, or maybe Robert Morgan made a comment about, you know, in retrospect, we could probably see that it's a paradox, but maybe he didn't see it himself. Yeah. And I just think that that's an 
it just paints a very complex picture. It makes you want to know what kind of a man he was, even though you get this picture of him later in life. It's like, how do you not see this this paradox? How do you how do you reconcile that? Um, I I thought it really painted a complex picture. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I I can I would defend Boone on that. Really, I mean, and and, and I'm not saying you're indicting him, but like life moves at slow motion. I mean, in a lot of ways, the, the cutting edge of time when you're here, you see things so much different than you see once you're past it. Yeah. And if you, if I could go somewhere today, and and there were no rules, no regulations, to kill 155 bears in one season would be pretty good. Was so this... this idea that like the game was all leaving, like I think that was like years down the track from that event. If was you see what I'm saying? Was that I thought that that was later in life, and I had assumed that was after he was, was in the legislature, where he had penned some legislation about protecting the game. Yeah, it, well, and it, it, I don't know the details of exactly when that was, but I, it was when he was in his 60s, though. Mm. So you're right. Mm. I think you're right. At, yeah, I think you're right, though, when you say that life moves in slow motion, and you don't see these things about yourself sometimes. Yeah, um, man, I that story. Like what I liked about this episode three was it was kind of like cleanup. We had covered all this stuff, and then I went through and like cherry picked a bunch of stuff that I just couldn't talk about Boone without talking about. So this guy rolling down the sandy, big sandy river in Kentucky and seeing Daniel Boone and his family—that wasn't a life-changing moment for Boone's life, but it was just a picture this guy's in a river you know riding down the river he sees the family pulls up on the shore it's d boone and rebecca and two of his daughters and their son-in-laws they're in half-faced camp which i assume that means a three-sided log structure they're eating out of a common tray which would just be a big tray basically they chunked a big thing of meat down and bread bear camp kind of like we do it the Newcomb farm every every night. Yeah. <laughs> and they had carved forks out of cane. And it, it's just it's just pretty wild. Mm. Do you think like when we look back on the paradox, Jonathan, and it's like how could he how could he kill that many bear but also pass that legislation? I mean he passed legislation, obviously he recognized there was a problem, but I look back on somebody like Daniel Boone and I want them to take a stand on the right things. But I divor- I usually divorce him in my mind from yeah, at 60, he was still a man with the family, and bear grease was how many dollars a yeah. gallon? Yeah. And he needed, like, he, he had debts had, he to just pay. Had to make a living. He had, so it's like, yes, he recognizes that these things are bad, and I and we need to do something about that. But at the same time, I, I got to take care of my family. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, man, I think, go ahead, Jonathan. Well, I, was just, I think the economic term for that is the tragedy of the commons, right? Man. And I wonder how much of that was playing in his oh, yeah. mind, which is, I've got to. Like if I don't oh. if I don't take these bear, then we lose out, and it helps no one because Man, the West is going to get expanded into. There was, there was no thought of that. Like the, the, the 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 conservation ethic of the modern North American hunter was not even developed at that point. Those were the formative ideas of of people saying like maybe we ought to preserve this game. And it wasn't until the late 1800s when it truly was a crisis and all these animals were getting wiped off the face of the earth that 
they said, hey, we really got to do something. And this, this, this modern North American hunting ethic was built, which is where we give value to older age males to take stress off the females, juveniles. And I mean, you hear me talk about it all the time, mm-hmm. but essentially the Boone and Crockett, Boone and Crockett club was the one that introduced this idea, Teddy Roosevelt, and they named the club after, after Boone. Boone. And so, I mean, to, to look back and I realize you're not saying this, but to look back at Boone and say, Oh man, you were unethical. You were an unethical hunter is really just not realistic. You know, I mean, for him to be like, you know what? We're going to conserve these bears. I will only shoot the <laughs> oldest bears that I see. Like, that just wasn't a thought. That would yeah. essentially be like someone saying, you know what? We ought to use the computer rather than send this through the mail. And they're like, well, uh, that'll sir, never work. Mm-hmm. There, there are no <laughs> such thing as computers. You're 200 years too early. <laughs> <laughs> um, no. It's probably wild. dial up anyway. <laughs> Malachi, what did you think, man? Man. It it was really hard to start the podcast, and let me in here. Let me let me explain why. You know, I think they, Daniel stomach. Boone was was somebody I guess that I grew up with, who you hear a lot about, but you don't know much about, mm-hmm. right? And this mystical woodsman that you know, from my perspective, just you know, killed animals. And as I is that got, what they think of him down in Midland? That's what, yeah, on my street. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. We ride donkeys. It's um, <laughs> a correlation. It's correlated. But I, I think as I, like, as I listen to all three, and I think everybody has said it, you see the the human aspect of them, and you you gain a level of respect that where you where you feel that the the grandeur or the respect or the the even the the aspect of he's being kind of put on a pedestal now it's earned mm. because not because of the all that he done you know he went through the Cumberland Gap and all these things but the the aspect of him being a man right taking care of his family even the aspect of uh, I really liked how he he respected Indians right even though there was times of conflict I, there there's always like a hat tip in my book. When anybody where society deems a, another group of people as less than, yeah. if a person can shows a level of respect that they're equal, yeah, and to me that's that's like a, a hat tip. And, and hey, a, back then, literally they were considered savages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I omitted that word from some of the readings that I did on this podcast. Mm. I hadn't told anybody that. Yeah, and I mean I, it, just to say that like. He was progressive. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I, I, to me, that that gives that gives. Okay, this guy was the real deal. It's like, man, that was that's a good guy. That's a guy that that gets gets a head nod and a hat tip. Mm. Um, not just because of the conservation things, mm-hmm. but because of who the guy was. Yeah. And so, my perspective. Ready to win Mother's Day and cement your reputation as the best gift giver in the family? Give the moms in your life an Aura digital picture frame preloaded with decades of family photos. She'll love looking back on these memories and seeing what you're up to today. Even better, with unlimited storage and an easy-to-use app, you can keep updating mom's frame with new photos, so it's the gift that keeps on giving. And this is not a joke. 
Juju Nukem has an aura frame, and we share photos, and they're incredible. Also, my mother-in-law has one. We have them. They truly are really good, really high quality. The aura frame is easy to set up. It takes just two minutes to set up a frame using the Aura app. It also adjusts the display depending on light levels in the room to maintain the true color of your photos. For real, the digital screen is amazing. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame when you use code BEAR, B-E-A-R, BEAR. That's AuraFrames.com. Use code BEAR at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. Whitetail Institute launched the food plot revolution in 1988 with a concentration on research and real-world testing of forage products specifically for whitetail deer. Whitetail Institute's research and development team of agronomy experts provide effective, personalized service. I've been using Imperial Whitetail Clover for a long time in a food plot back behind my house. In 2007, I killed the biggest buck of my life over an Imperial Whitetail Clover small quarter-acre food plot. Imperial Whitetail Clover is the only clover scientifically developed through years of selective breeding. Clover Extreme Genetic Stability provides extreme cold tolerance, disease, and drought tolerance. It really does. Clover is coated with Whitetail Institute's Rain Bond, a polymer coating added for enhanced seedling survivability. They have an exclusive offer for Bear Grease listeners, 15% off Imperial Clover when you use the code BEAR at whitetailinstitute.com. That's whitetailinstitute.com and use code BEAR for 15% off. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time, Seafoam Motor Treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that Seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. It's really simple. When you pour it in your gas tank, Seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can in your gas tank and let it clean your fuel system. You probably know someone who's used a can of Seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. People everywhere rely on Seafoam to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. Help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. I think that, like what you're saying, Malachi, reminds me another thing that stuck out to me was when his time in, in the legislature was discussed and he would frequently wear the, the yeah. Shawnee garb. Yeah. Leggings, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I think today, you know, of course, like we would rightfully, somebody, you know, a white man does that, we're going to level cultural appropriation on him. Like, mm-hmm. you don't just put on indigenous garb as a white man and go into Congress. And and maybe that term didn't even exist back then, and maybe there were Native Americans did not have a voice to kind of levy that critique against him. Uh, or... Maybe he had lived in such a way with them and loved them in such a way where in putting that on, like you said in the podcast, he was acknowledging his roots yeah, and they was. were a part of him and yeah. who he was and his roots. And I think that that definitely hit me. It was like, here, here's a man who, I mean, he obviously had conflict with Native Americans, but there was a deep love 
and a deep respect, and he allowed it to shape who he was. And I'm not going to stand up here in the legislature and do my job unless I represent the people who've made me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I like that a lot. Wasn't that a wild imagery? I mean, he wasn't, it wasn't a costume party. Like, you you almost, you, you could feel like it was a stunt. Like, like a photo op. Yeah, mm-hmm. like Boone wearing his buckskins into the legislature. I don't think it was. I mean, he was making a statement. Like, he could have gone to town and d- did what they did. But he was like, I just think he, he, he had no choice but to be true to who he was. Yeah. He cho- I mean, not to make a joke about it, I mean, he chose the mule. Everybody yeah. else is wearing those silk shirts, yeah. looking really nice. I mean, these are the leading yeah. intellectual thinkers of Western development in their time. Yeah. And he shows up in buckskin. And not Basically only that, but the, that's my president. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that man. I will vote for him. You know, oh, man. I, that, that image is just, to me, is just so striking and the fact that it wasn't a stunt right yeah because today you could not do that without it being highly inappropriate and offensive and a stunt right which but, is a good deal and, of why it's highly inappropriate which of and course yeah. Yeah, yeah but it, but the fact that he did it and it wasn't and it was true to who he was um and maybe i have a totally naive view of it and it was totally a stunt back then but it seems like it was well, i mean I, I think he was aware of the statement that he was making of course i mean it, it would essentially be like um I mean, there's people that have done stuff like that. You know, you see the odd politician from out west walking in wearing his cowboy hat. Didn't one of the guys rode a horse into the White House a few yeah. years ago? I mean, I like that. But here's stuff. the thing. When your adopted Shawnee dad chews the yeah. sugar cane and gets it moist in his mouth for you and then hands it mm-hmm. to you and you've lived with him and you speak his language and you've been in his family – you're not putting on a cowboy hat and riding a horse into the yeah. White House. Yeah. You you have become part of their family. And when he comes out before the fort and says, why'd you leave? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this man lived a totally different way of life. Yeah. Um, and that's why he could do that. And you say, yeah. that's, I mean, that's the hat tip, you know. Yeah. 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 When he hands you that, that already chewed on piece of cane. That's when you say in Shawnee, hard pass, whatever that is. I'm like, no thanks. I'm, I'm good. There's a pandemic going on. We don't share a cane. Oh, I don't know about you. Let's do Talk that, about let's do that smallpox, arm. man. Yeah. Bad gum. Oh, wow. yeah. No, hey, when I, I, again, everything that was in this podcast was things that I handpicked. I mean, it really was. And I would tell that story over and over to, like, my kids. I mean, that stood out to me and and it stood out to Nathan Boone because when Nathan Boone was 74 years old and his dad had been dead for 30 years, he remembered that blackfish chewed a lump of sugar and gave it. I mean, you can almost just see like the glow in blackfish's eyes to see what he would do. See if he would take it. (laughs) And what did D Boone do? He took it and he ate it. There were only two people standing there. How do we know that information? Because Dan Boone went home and he told his whole family. He said, Rebecca, don't give me no sugar. <laughs> I just had some from the cheese. Just go right to my thighs. <laughs> no, I mean, you could try to describe like Boone's relationship with Blackfish and the Shawnees in a thousand word 
article or you could tell that one story it's kind of like a picture tells a yeah. A thousand words. What is it about? Like, I think in our day, and I mean, so many, I mean, these books, you have all these books on biographies on Daniel Boone, and it's these stories that, man, you could just hear. And you talk about a good storyteller. And I, I remember, like, asking you to just tell me a story one more time. Like, I just, somebody tells a really good story, you want to hear it again. But our culture, we're constantly trying to invent new TV shows and new narratives and new, and it's got to be novel. But yet, deep down inside, it's like, we want that we want that good old story like tell me that story that has meaning and value and and actually if if it really does i want to hear it again yeah, yeah. and it's you know? relatable yeah something you can relate yeah to. yeah and i think that's what's something that i kind of saw in boone's life over the course of the three that's different from now it's it's authentic right i think what you see now is people telling stories for views, mm. right? Yeah, People's yeah, telling yeah. stories mm -hmm. to be validated by somebody else versus just this is who I am. He didn't, you know, I don't, I don't think Daniel Boone would have, if he was in today's age, would have said, "Hey, put that on Instagram yeah. while I take." Yeah, no, because he could have done it. He yeah. could have done it. Yeah, and he I think he could have toured and did that yeah. then, and he didn't. Yeah, and I think that's that's something that's powerful when somebody builds their life for the sake of building their lives. Versus somebody who tries to reach a point inside their lives so people can validate them. Yeah. Or so people can say what they're building is cool or what they're building is something that I want to build. And I, I think that's a, that's a fascinating aspect about, about him. I think even in today's culture, you know, media and just culture at large finds people who have that aspect of just genuine desire and their own value and tries to make it a product. Uh -huh. And unfortunately, a lot of people fall for that. And then you see like people who you discovered, quote unquote, like early in their career, early in their development, and you really like what they're doing. But then over time, they become kind of commercialized. And so Daniel Boone's version of that was the legislature. And what did he do? He wore buckskin and he didn't give in to that product. Uh, yeah. yeah, I appreciated that, too. At the end, we talked about how. Boone didn't buy into the myth of himself. Mm -hmm. You know, he, there was, there was a story uh, and it was, it was said that someone told, read something to him about him. Mm -hmm. And he said stuff like that. They shouldn't read to a guy until he's dead. Yeah. I think Boone in a lot of ways, we probably got Boone wrong in some ways from a, at a personal level. I do not think Boone, if he were here today, I think it would shock him that we're talking about him like we are. I, I, I mean, I, I can't argue with that because I, I always go back to that thing that there, there was a lot of those guys because him surviving every day. I mean, he, he didn't call that an adventure. That was Tuesday. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's what all those yeah. folks were doing, and the good ones got to retire and be eight, live to be eighty-two or eighty-six or however old he was, and the other folks didn't. Yeah, it was like you remember Bob. And that dude could not build a fire for nothing. No, I don't remember him. Oh, yeah, that's right. He's been dead 50 years. He froze, froze to, to death. death. <laughs> <laughs> you remember him. I know, you know, I, know I, think, I think part of Boone's, what we see and in, in what I view as humility, hard-won humility at the end of his life was not him knowing that he was some kind of national hero stud and like choosing to be humble. Man, the guy was beat down by life. Mm. Like I, I think he would just be like, 
yeah, I, I was just kind of a normal dude. We did some stuff. Yeah, and he was, might even say lost. Oh, I think I, yeah. I, I, mean, I think he probably had a pretty big sense of some personal failure in his life, for sure. That probably instructed him. So this uh, Elizabeth Corvin quote, I think at the end that I put in there. That talked about how mild he she spoke. Said, and... She said the man spoke in effeminate, soft tones. And she said, all the old woodsmen that I know, I can't think of one that did not act that way. That really stood out to me big time. And I'll tell you, I, I'll, I'll walk you through my thought process on it. Boone did all this stuff. <laughs> what are you laughing at, Dan? You do not use the word effeminate with DB. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll punch you in the teeth. Those are fighting words. No, that's why I put it in there. Yeah. This, it, it makes me think about, well, as a hunter, it's like, what am I doing that cause inside of hunting that causes me to not be humble? Like, he spent his lifetime in the wilderness, and he came out humble. Like, he came out soft-spoken. He came out, like, not, he was not the one wanting to tell all his stories. He was the one that was quiet. I think sometimes you see the opposite of that, not just in hunting, but in life in other ways, is that people have grand experiences, and it, it causes them to become more loud more right more not humble more yeah. they projecting won. they dominate well it just it just like they they believe the myth about themselves and also people's perception of them too maybe that didn't know it you wouldn't think daniel boone would have a, a feminine voice yeah you know, I, I think about it reminded when i listened to that i listened to i was reminded of a documentary about general Patton, and only referenced before that was the old movie George mm-hmm. C. Scott played, mm-hmm. and he had a big gruff right. voice. He talked like this. And in the in the documentary, they talked about that General Patton was not as tall as George C. Scott. And when he answered the phone, he sounded like somebody's grandmother, like, General Patton, you know, <laughs> uh, was what he sounded like. And uh, I thought, that's not what he sounds like. He sounds just like George C. Scott. Not my General Patton. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. So it's everybody's perception of him. You know that you wouldn't you wouldn't think it would be that way. Yeah, and that was another thing that humanized him to me. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, it, what it made me think about on a personal level is that like our exploits, what we do, should make us humble. Yeah, it shouldn't puff us up. Yeah, you want the guy at the end to be the same as the guy at the beginning. You don't yeah. want, and I think that's kind of what Jonathan was talking about. Like you hear these early stories of him. And then you hear these stories of conquest and things like that. But at the end, he's cooking a deer over a fire with his kids and his grandkids. And it's there's something real noble about that. Mm. Yeah, he's doing right. He, there's, there were many stories of his old age that I couldn't include. One person noted that when he heard people come to the house, he would drift off mm. away into the woods and into his cabin. Like in his old age... He was kind of done with like, because people, it, it was insinuated that people would come by to want to just talk to him. Want to hear the stories. And he just was kind of like, ah, forget the story. And the thing is, he could be a, 
he could be a big talker. He could talk like a chief. Yeah. You know, I think that's, that's and right. there was the court martial where he defended himself and won over the judges and actually got a promotion. I mean, clearly it's kind of like another paradox inside the man. I mean, he could be this larger than life talker, but at the end of his life, that wasn't who he, who he was. Well, he was, yeah. And I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, he, he was a good storyteller. He was a leader. There was a magnetism to him. So he was charismatic, but it was an authentic kind of charismatic. Um, it had to have been, you know, he could, he, he had a wide range of functionality as a human. He knew when to be quiet, but he also knew when to speak. That's what it seems like. I think you, you know? referenced that in the first episode about him when he was young and had that charisma about him that just drew people, that magnetism. So having it then when he's young and then a life full of experiences. Yeah. Yeah. I see that. Misty, what was your favorite part? We haven't asked you that. Well, I think I feel like to describe, to explain my, my favorite part of the part that stood out just of this whole series. I think that as, and, and we've talked about this as a family and as a person, what we've really sought to do is to build a culture in our home and in our hearts that transcends any regional or national, any type of other identity. And what I mean by that is we want you know, like our, our spiritual existence and our spiritual values are the things that guide our home. And so that's what we, we tell, we say that to our kids, like, yeah, we like being hillbillies. We we're real comfortable with where we come from and, and who we are, but we don't want that to limit us. We don't want our, our, those things. Uh, so I'm real conscious of that. I'm real conscious of when I hear things, I think, uh, do I think that way because I'm from Arkansas? Do I think that way because I'm an American? Because I don't want to just think that way. I want, I want this higher set of values to guide how I think. Listen to the Daniel Boone podcast and hearing him talk about hearing like he is as an archetype of American identity. I was kind of struck by there's things in me that are in me because of those stories. And I don't even know it. Mm. I didn't even recognize it. They're so default. I mean, there's an aspect of even with intentional building to know the things that you're, you're, that define you and to know how your national heritage defines you and how and an intentional effort to not just build your life that way. I wouldn't have said, I would have never told so you, you Daniel. It, you were surprised. Yeah. I would have never said Daniel Boone had a major impact on my life. And yet <laughs> I <laughs> love that, adventure. That, that, I love going out to my yeah. ears because that, is what we set out to do from the very beginning. Right. And I did not have the answers to it. Right. Man, I, that's the one thing that is true to this podcast is I genuinely had a question. I think, I you, wondered, I think you had the answers. <laughs> I think I got a cheat <laughs> sheet. Oh, I think you got a cheat sheet. Written on your hand. It's written on your hand. It's right there. The, the, the question was, I wonder how I've been impacted by Dan Boone and don't even know it. I mean, I suspected that we were. And I would, I would think it's not hard to think that you were. Right. Right. I yeah. mean, but when, what was interesting to me was because like, I, I love, I enjoy going camping. I enjoy adventure. I enjoy taking the kids out hiking. I like doing, I like, uh, kind of intensely pursuing things. And as you were describing Daniel Boone as an American archetype and someone who this is like part of the American identity. I would not have thought that that is something that shaped me mm-hmm. just as a, as a woman, as a not, I mean, someone who appreciates right. the outdoors, but is not 
would not have described herself as a woodsman. You know, those are, those are not descriptors. So yeah, I see how you could have found that, but I wasn't expecting for me to find that. Mm -hmm. And, and that's what I found in it. And the, this last one, it as I was, I was driving the kids to school and listening to it. And I just thought, man, that is, that's kind of crazy. And it's kind of interesting to me how we have those things that shape us and that shape our, that, that we don't even realize like a default person is going to have that. And one of the, I, I, you know, we have friends who are from other countries and they always kind of laugh at us when we talk about for vacation, for relaxation, we're going to take our kids out in the woods and, <laughs> and you know, they, they think that's kind of crazy. And I've always thought, huh, that's funny that they think that, but I realize it's Daniel Boone's fingerprints on mm, our lives and, our and all those guys, you know, those that we think that that's fun, that we think that extra effort is fun. And, and it's, I just would not have thought that. And I, I thought your section, Dan, yes. was yeah. so good because it, it, I mean, you had such firsthand experience with that over yeah. in China, just seeing that, you know. So in, in I'm, I've got the book, My Father, Daniel Boone, in my hand here. I had some people ask me, they wanted more information on the latter part of Dan's life, how active he was, because, and, and this is, this was a story that Nathan told Lyman Draper. Hashtag Draper. I'm surprised Hashtag he told Draper. him Nate. Lionel Richie. <laughs> told Nate, Nate Draper. In the fall of 1817, late in November, my father, Daniel Boone. I like how Nathan always says that. My father, I know. Nathan Boone. I know. There's something so appealing to me they, about they, that. They were so regal in the way they spoke. I they, know. So it, he didn't call him Dan. Oh. My father. My father. Dan. My father, Daniel Boone, entered then entering upon his 84th year, started on a hunting trip with his grandson, James Boone, my oldest son. This was before Jesse Boone moved to the country. They started each with mounted on horseback. Upon leaving Flanders Callaway, they proceeded on and camped the first night on the headwaters of the Charette, about 13 miles from the Callaway house. Okay, let's just stop right there. Dan's 84. He just rode a horse 13 miles. Okay. Brent can barely spend half an hour on an old dozer. Exactly. What in the world? No. Hey. That's why his voice is so deep, though. When I first got into mules, part of what I was thinking, long-term thinking, was when I'm an old man, I'm going to have a craft, and I'm going to be able to stay out there longer when – Really, it was a thought. It was like when the other losers can't, I will be winning. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And then I realized that you got to be more athletic and strong to ride a stinking mule or horse than it is to walk. I mean, so generally, people don't have the flexibility and strength. And somebody can tell me, you know, about the guy that's 90 and still rides, and there are those people. But generally, to mount a horse or an equine animal, is takes a lot of flexibility, a lot of core strength. So anyway, it's notable that he's 84 and they've ridden not 13 miles. Hold on. They, they rode 13 miles from the Callaway's house. Night overtook them sooner than they expected. And they camped rather late and had not had time to prepare a shelter that night. Two inches of snow fell. The snow glare of the fire caused a wild duck to land inside beside the fire. James Boone caught it easily to his bewilderment. Father was exhilarated to be out camping again. He had brought his gun, his kettle, a light axe, provision, and two or three traps. He seemed to feel himself in his ancient element. After the evening meal, he told stories of the olden time adventures. 
The pair had the duck for breakfast the next morning and continued on their way. The weather had become... Okay, 84-year-old man just camped on the ground <laughs> yeah. two inches snow. of snow. No just like, whatever. And it made him come alive. Yeah. The pair had the duck for breakfast the next morning, continued on their way. The weather had become cold and blustery, so they had to stop to make a fire for Father to warm himself. They went only eight miles that day and stopped at the house of entertainment, a house of entertainment at Camp Branch, a noted camping place for travelers. The next day, they went 22 miles Oof. to Lutra Lick. The weather had moderated a little but was still cold, and all but two miles of that day's travel was on exposed prairie. The cold had affected my father's age frame, and he found he could proceed no further since he could not bear the exposure. He then decided to remain at his granddaughter's, Miss Major Van Bibbers, at Lutry Lick and abandon the intended hunt. He abandoned the hunt after the 45? Twenty, uh, 22 plus 14 plus... 36. An eight-mile day in there. Uh, Malachi is the only one I trust with numbers. <laughs> 36, you're at 36. 36-mile horse ride camping in two inches of snow and he was like man i'm cold james sorry bro i don't think this is gonna work out that's duck ain't ain't holding me (laughs) um no but uh, incredible and then i'm gonna read a statement that we have all probably as hunters made some version of it so this is gonna sound really familiar but this is the author of that familiarity you see what i'm saying Nathan Boone said this. My father said he was as naturally inclined each fall to go hunting and trapping as the farmer is in spring to set about putting in his crops. That's pretty good. I mean, he was just like, even at an old age, Dan was like, let's go. Let's go. He never, he never lost that fire. And I thought that was notable. And then the day he the day before he died, if you remember, Nathan described his death. He said he stood on the porch and he said, man, if I feel this good tomorrow, I think I'll ride the horse around the farm. And then he, he went inside, took a nap, and a fever came on him. And he knew that it was his last sickness. He told them that. It, it, I mean, it, it's so wild that we know so much about this guy. I mean, down to his very thoughts right up to his last breath on the earth. Bizarre that we know so much about this guy. You know, he, he felt a pain that he had never felt before. And I mean, all of us are pretty young. We hadn't died yet. <laughs> so far. Brent immediately looks at me. It says so far. Take note. That if you feel a very strange, I mean, like he knew he was like, yeah. this is this is the one. When he felt that burning sensation, and he refused the medication, and he had his family all come around. Man, talking to Robert Morgan about death in the wow, yeah. nineteenth century, eighteenth yeah. century, yeah. was uh, really moving. Yeah, it, I it thought was, it was too. <laughs> um, I mean, he he's an old man himself. Mm-hmm. And he, uh, it, it, just the way that we deal with death today is so bizarre compared to the experiences of most humans that have lived on planet Earth, you know. Um, but yeah, wild. 
Old D Boone, man. D Dog. D Dog. Yeah, this is good, Clay. This was a really good. Not too bad. Yep. Good job, Nuke. The uh, <laughs> the next one you talk about that's is still under wraps. It, it better be good, pal. I know. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Cancel I've been culture. waiting for this to kind of. I'll be trying to wrap. How long can we keep this up? Really? <laughs> <laughs> oh man! No, what has been cool about this podcast, and and that's this is what we do at the renders behind the scenes. Oh, this thing's kind of taken a life of its own in a lot of ways, you know. Like this is not really what we totally planned to do. Did and we have uh, a plan? <laughs> <laughs> Negative. I, I was not told of any plan. Uh, <laughs> no, no. I, but I, I think there's significance in looking back at these guys. And you know, my closing commentary at the end about American identity—that is something that I am very passionate about very passionate about there are bigger fish to fry on planet earth than than us maintaining our hunting privileges in this country right i mean and that's kind of what a lot of people that listen to this podcast and me are interested in is like the preservation of our way of life but it's it's so much bigger than that though it's not just i want my sons to be able to go and hunt a deer so that their heart will beat fast and so that they can experience what it means to be a woodsman and, 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 and engage with nature in that way. What I'm really saying is I want what I, I want them to have the opportunity to be who I have been. And what I have, what I am is deeply connected to this thing this way of life and what's happening inside of in our country, maybe other places too, is that it's like, it's like we're trying, they're trying to snuff out this. They're trying to snuff out the woodsman. They're trying to snuff that like, they're like, this is not a relevant part of our society anymore. We don't need hunters. And that's happening in lots of different ways. And, and that's not what this is about. But I mean, essentially what my appeal was, Make a place, a perpetual place at the table of the people who get to decide what American identity is. Leave a chair for us. Leave a chair for us. That's all we ask. Man, there are people in this country that don't care a thing about wild places. That is fine. Their world revolves around urban life. And I mean, the vast majority of this country, I mean, lives in very urban places. Right. And they have heroes, and they have things that they pound the table for about their way of life, which absolutely has a right. They have a right to put their fingerprint on the American identity. America developed as a melting pot of all these different cultures. We see it. Well, what we're saying is that the woodsman is a legitimate voice mm -hmm. inside today. Yeah. And my only appeal was let the woodsman manage the wild places and the wildlife of this country. It's really that simple. Because that's the way it works now. That's the way it has worked for the last 200 years. And to cut to a, just a talking point that is true, is there are more big game, thriving big game in North America than any place on the planet. And it's because of the woodsman valued wild places. Mm -hmm. They valued the wilderness. 
They valued that majestic buck. They valued D. Boone. They valued those bears such that he made a cultural imprint on us. And that value today in a highly urbanized world translates into that we have said, hey, there are some places where civilization is not coming. And we're marking these places off. And we're going to manage the game. If you have a confined area, natural game populations are designed to expand. And they can't expand, so we need to hunt them a little bit. We're going to take out 10% of the population every year through sport hunting. We're going to train our kids to be woodsmen. We're going to train them to, to harvest and process wild game and bring it home and have the most ethically harvested, sustainable, healthy meat rocket fuel on the planet. This is a very valuable thing to society. We're saying, let us keep doing that, and we'll let you keep doing the things that you're interested in. Skateboards. Keep, keep riding your horses. That's right. We'll ride our mules. You know, and the thing is, is you're not only, it's, not, it's, it's that plus you're turning out young men and women with integrity mm-hmm. and humility and values that are higher than mm-hmm. we like to hunt, you know, yeah. or it makes my heart race. But it's just like Daniel Boone through a hard life of risk and adventure and, and real mm-hmm. challenges in nature learned character yeah yes and in the end he might ironically even though he kind of embodied the american narrative i go out and i dominate the wild ironically according to the world standards he ended the life of poor man little known but really in terms of character and integrity and love for his family he won yeah uh he won big mm-hmm. and that's what and and we want that for our yeah. kids and we want that for our families and yeah you know I believe that dedication to craft does, it's not the only thing that makes you a good human. It's not at all. I mean, like, you could be a hunter and be a dirtball and love to hunt. (laughs) That is entirely possible. But when things that take the dedication of a lifetime to master become something that you focus on, you have to have a whole bunch of other stuff in your life built right. Right, right. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. So there's correlations. Yeah, yeah. There's connections. I look, I glanced at Malachi when I said that word. Yeah. I did too. He's our correlation guy. You know, I think that's um, a, a, a really good point that I, I kind of was raised with the mindset that if you, like hobbies were not great, they weren't very productive. They yeah. weren't almost like they're kind of inferior people with hobbies. That, that sort of, yeah. first of all, we wouldn't call them craft. We'd call it what you're doing, what you're describing as a craft, we would describe it we as a hobby. told you that. I'll punch you. You, you know who <laughs> don't mean that. No, I'm just kidding. I just remembered who told her that. I can't. So there was almost, it was kind of an imbalance because work and productivity was such a highly valuable thing that that would be the thing. But that's, that's really wrong and imbalanced. And I think that when you, one of the real values that we've wanted to impart to our kids is not that you're, you know, just always doing stuff for no purpose than, than just to have hobbies, but that you build a craft because the craft builds you mm-hmm. and the craft is a tool to actually construct a whole lot of other things. So we've been real comfortable with our kids really getting into whether it be hunting or, or sports or things like that, because we realize that it's in life, it's in the doing, it's in the living where all these other things can be shaped and we can't compartmentalize and say, well, these things get shaped over here, but not over here. And so I, I think that's that's a really good point to that you just made there, Nuke. 
Oh, well, thanks. There's one. <laughs> I think there's I've, one. I think I've heard you. <laughs> I think I've heard you talk about that, Misty, in terms of like, I came from more of a background and a childhood of like video games, television, and riding my bicycle right. to work. I've heard you talk about just the nature of young men specifically, but I'm sure in humanity, not limited to young men, learning to overcome something versus the current culture, which video games is an easy right. one provides an opportunity for you to feel like you have mastered a craft right. or overcome an obstacle. But in reality, you have not. It is a simulated experience. Mm. And seeing the correlation more deeply of yeah. what it takes to build a lifestyle of mastering a craft or overcoming an obstacle, that's been a transition in my life as well. And I, I appreciate the things that you guys are saying about it. It makes a lot more sense. Yeah. Closing thoughts? Thoreau, um, Henry David Thoreau was influenced by Daniel Boone. And mm -hmm. one of my favorite quotes of his was all good things are wild and free. Mm -hmm. And that's, that says a lot to me. Velvet pipes with a mic drop. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that section so much. Yeah. Very yeah. good. Very good. Yeah. Yeah. Dan, that guys like Thoreau would look to somebody like Daniel Boone and not Thomas Jefferson, I think says a ton. I'm, Certainly, I'm sure Thomas Jefferson had an impact on old TJ. On old TJ, <laughs> uh, but you know, I mean, that's that's great influence. You know, Jonathan, closing thought. That question is my closing thought. Ooh. What is the gauntlet when Daniel Boone was taken captive, and he said, "Listen, I'll turn over my men. I'll have them surrender as long as you promise not to kill us or make us run the gauntlet." What's you the gauntlet? You don't know what a gauntlet. I don't. Is. Uh, let me speak wrote, for those people on this podcast who don't know. to being on here. We'll oh, no. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> gonna, because you don't know that, you're going to have to run the game. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. I wrote a paper in college <laughs> called The Education Gauntlet. I wish I could find it. it they'd probably put it in, like, New York Times. <laughs> <laughs> and basically, it was my assessment of my college education. When I get to the end, there's not a ton of value, but I have just proved that I can take it in the face. Yeah. <laughs> For like five years. His professors were really my, touched. Yeah, I'm sure. That was my initial thought of, I haven't told you what the gauntlet is yet. No. I, um, there's a buildup. I, I know you stopped. now that I'm older, I realize that that was really formative in my development was going through college. The gauntlet is when they would line up on, they would like have like 20 people facing 20 people and leave like a five foot span and everybody would have clubs and rocks and sticks and dirt and a guy would have to run through the center, like, you know, two oh, guys yeah, lined yeah. up, and they would just pummel him. I mean, I know it from a football context, but I didn't realize that that was a... Oh, that was a that very, was a, that was an ancient... very common... I mean, Boone knew it enough that he was like, I'll surrender all these guys as long as you promise not to make them run the gauntlet. And do you know what old Blackfish did? Is Blackfish took all the guys, and then when they got them back to camp, they started forming a gauntlet line, and Boone said, you said we weren't going to have to run the gauntlet. And he said, Blackfish said, I said they wouldn't have to run the gauntlet. <laughs> he said, I never said you wouldn't. For real. Here, have some sugar. We're a long way from sugar cane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's time. Yeah. Sugar cane was day. Um, Blackfish is like, after no hobbies for you. Gauntlet. <laughs> I mean, really. Like, there, there was something cultural about running the gauntlet that, I mean, Blackfish, like, I think he really loved Boone and they liked jumped him, him in. but he was just like, bro, I'm sorry, there's no way out of this. <laughs> and and Boone made 
uh, uh, a spectacle of him. He he ran in. I can't remember the details because he ran the gauntlet multiple times in his life. I mean, this is not a movie. This is a ma- this would be like me or you sitting here going, "Yeah, man, when I when I was down there, they kidnapped me and for four months and ran the gauntlet." And the, the the some of the most fierce people in the gauntlet were the women. They were just like hostile. And what he did is he he faked one way, like he ran, and this is what I remember. He faked one way and then turned and smacked over a bunch of women, and and it threw it, the whole thing Points into for a, a rumble. And he made it through like with minimal whooping. What's the what was the value like if you could get through and not be knocked just, out? You were somehow five tokens. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was it was just what they did to their hmm. their captors. The reckoning. So mm-hmm. you've done wrong, and you. This is the part, the price you. But pay. after hmm. he ran it, he was respected. They were like, hmm. "Good job, that was pretty good, Boone." Yeah, here's a tooth. Great closing thoughts, Malachi. Yeah, you know, as you were talking about, like having a seat at the table. I think, and listening to the three podcasts, I think what what comes to mind is the power of articulation and also the power of invitation, of articulating your stories and inviting non quote unquote non woodsman to partake of that how powerful that is and as a non woodsman i think our response is the power of not assuming and the power of trying like trying it cuz recognizing how much you learn just from not assuming and trying something different um how much how much life that brings to you and i think that's how you can get a seat at the table and that's how you open up a seat at the table. Mm. So I think those. Hey, Malachi, we consider you a pre-woodsman. Pre-woodsman. <laughs> You're not a non-woodsman. Pre-woodsman. You're just okay. on the way. Pre-woodsman. Pre-woodsman. Yep. He's got his hunter's license. So uh, Two years in a row. Two years in a row. Put some respect mm-hmm. on yeah. my name. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're not the one who said you weren't a woodsman. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, no more, no more Boone podcast unless we come back for part two. Dang. Part we two. Could, we could always three. dive in. We could always dive back in. Uh, I'm already researching another character that I'm probably going to do at some point. Dolly Parton? Maybe. Wild Bill. I, w- I would like Dolly Parton on this Burgers podcast. If anybody knows her, let her know. Bring her to the render. Yep. That's there right. you go. She could definitely do the live music. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was disappointed. I thought the render had live music. Man, I y'all was ready. My, y'all want to hear my bulldozer song? song? Oh, Jonathan. Uh, oh, I opened Why? another door. I'm sorry. It's yes, fun. I do. Let's experience it. It is so good. I'm ready. He's fired. I'm, yeah. <laughs> Jonathan, this will be your last this time. Was, listen, I, was, I knew I was the contest we'll winner. This it. is my what? only time. We'll say it. Misty <laughs> like, really doesn't like the song. It's Misty's birthday. Don't play it. It's oh. my birthday. Okay. Okay, so listen. This song... This song is a spoof. It's a spoof. You can realize it's a joke, okay? So it's, and if you remember, when I got on that dozer that first day and I came back to the render and I'd been on the dozer, everybody was like, Clay's different. A little bit peppy. He'd been intoxicated with power, Mm -hmm. okay? I get it, bro. Do you remember that? I get it. So you need to have that in your mind. It's an inside joke. Okay, the second thing was, was I made some, some, we made some commentary about the cat dozer. Okay? And we talked about it being a black cat. 
Huh? Yeah. Are we ready? <laughs> we ready? We're caught up. Is that the He was riding that cat dozer on the mountain south of town. He was pushing them trees over and the rocks that tumbled down. She was back home praying that her boy would settle down. Deep down she knew he'd probably never come back around. Big black cat, don't take my soul away from me. Unbridled power can't change me into a beast like you. That diesel rumbled as those big pines hit the ground. That sand rock tumbled as his girl began to frown. All he wanted was a place to settle down in the mountains with a view and a glowing fire on the ground. Big black cat, don't take my soul Unbridled power can't change me into a beast like you. Long live the Black Panther (laughs) in these hills. He'll take your soul, your body, and Take my soul away from me. <laughs> I'm sorry, Juju. Hot dog. <laughs> That's awesome. That's amazing. I'm going to be downloading that on Spotify. <laughs> <laughs> or wherever you get your <laughs> latest <laughs> ballots. <laughs> How much of that did you make up just right now there at your No. Oh. A little bit, a little bit. This show is sponsored in part by BetterHelp. Around New Year's, we get obsessed with how to change ourselves instead of just expanding on what we've already done right. Maybe you finally organized one part of your space and you want to tackle another. Or maybe you're taking your supplements every morning and now you actually want to eat breakfast. In the last year, I've been more diligent about going to the gym on a regimented schedule. And it's made a lot of difference in my life. Therapy helps you find your strengths so that you can ditch the extreme resolutions and make changes that really stick. Therapy is helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Celebrate the progress you've already made. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Grease today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com slash Grease. 
Outdoor Adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more.